Welcome to Lights in the Sky podcast episode 85, casual chat about uncasual things. I'm Luke. Hi Luke, it's Tony. Hey Tony. Hi <laughs> here. Has it been a while? It uh, has been a week. Oh yeah, no, hasn't been a while then. Feels like it's been a while. Maybe it's just one of those really busy weeks. You know how when you're busy and you lose all track of time? Track of all time. All track of time. All track, all time, all the time. <laughs> all out the window. Yep. Um, busy week? For you? Has been too bad, actually. Did mm-hmm. a workies from home today. Has, uh, had the heat pump man come. Oh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Straight into paranormal? No longer yeah. doing the <laughs> grinding noise. Oh, yeah. Some yeah. Uh, um, dedicated listeners of the show might remember back in some of our uh, earlier episodes, mm. we got a strange noise. Mm. Or we didn't get a strange noise, we just pointed out a noise you couldn't hear. Exactly, exactly. Um, you got a bit shitty with me to start off with, though. Me? No, Heat Pump Man, Ian. Why? Uh, well, he called it N like... or Ian? Ian. His name was just the letter I- Ian. I-A-N, not the letter N. We, oh. we have a good friend who's just the letter N, of course. But uh, Well, we did. He's no longer with us. <laughs> I don't feel like we did. <laughs> I think we... What do you mean no longer... He's not dead. No, he's not dead. He was dead. They just added extra letters to his name. Yeah, he's just no longer with us. No we longer Ian. He's no longer called I haven't seen him since, what, 2003. Um... <laughs> Anyway, he uh, called me at like quarter past ten, and I was out. Quarter past in, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Oh, I'm, 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 I'm on my way." I said, "Oh, well, they said you were coming at um, eleven. No, no, it's a range. A range." I said, mm. well, "No, like I said, I called on Monday." And you're like, "Listen, in." I told you, <laughs> I wanted you here at eleven. I said, or not quarter past in." No. Live in, live in, in. So he's like, yeah. So he has a has a has we meltdown about this. I said, well, I'm not home right now. He's like, well, I'm just gonna have to sit outside and wait, then, aren't I? It's like, whatever floats your boat, pal. It's like, yep. I said they told me it was eleven. It's a range. It's like, what do you mean it's a range? What does a range mean when they say it's eleven? What does the range eleven mean? In. (laughs) Don't talk to me like this. In. So he said. Was it a woman that told you that? Oh, no. I said... There's, there's history here. I was like, yes. Oh, Beryl. Yeah. <laughs> so, I said, she even called me yesterday, because she's called me three times this week. I booked on Monday, and they said, we'll get back to you. Called me on Tuesday, said, we've got you him, we've got him coming at 11. And she called me yesterday, confirmed that he's coming at 11. And he calls at 10.15 and says, I'm here. I'm on my way. I'm in at 10. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm expecting you at 11, and he has a meltdown at me. It's like, and I said, like, all due respect, Ian. Which <laughs> is <laughs> just what he's called now. <laughs> well, I was told 11. 11. 11. Multiple times. I was told 11. Not quarter past 10. By Beryl in the office. Not quarter past 10. 11. <laughs> and um, so I, I just, I, I mean, I just. It's not even that long of a wait. No. I thought you worked from home today. Why were you I out? I was out doing running, running a couple of errands. I was getting that bookcase. Oh. 
Well, not that bookcase I'm pulling more, out. More chat that no one's going to care <laughs> I'm about. I'm replacing my bookcase. <laughs> I'm having the old one, as I tend to do with Tony's belongings. Um, but I had to go pick it up because I wasn't able to collect it uh, yesterday. So you went and picked it up at quarter past ten. <laughs> well, I was coming back. I was going to go to the supermarket to get my uh, get some, some grockery. Yeah. But no, I had to come back because of Ian. So I got, I got back here, and Ian fixed everything, and even he jumped over the ceiling, in ceiling, <laughs> ceiling, ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the ceiling, yeah. and uh, how, how is it, so it's all fixed now? You haven't heard anything since? It's silent. <laughs> and was Ian alright once he got here? Uh, he was cheery, he's a cheery fellow. <laughs> he just didn't come across on the phone? No, I didn't, I, th- I was sort of expecting a bit of a, uh, bit of biff. Gruff. Yeah, but it's good. I, he's just like you know, tradie annoyed at having to sit around. I was like, sit around doing nothing. That's what tradies do. Did, was he actually waiting here when you got here? Yeah, he was. Oh man, how long do you reckon you left him waiting? Um, oh, five, ten minutes. Yeah, that'd be enough to add some dollars to your invoice, no doubt. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> you told me eleven. Beryl, <laughs> Beryl fucking told me eleven. <laughs> If I yeah. had known there was like, and I was, I said I'll be back. I was thinking I'll be back by like quarter two because mm-hmm. he might come early. Mm-hmm. But it's fixed now. Ian likes to come early. You know, <laughs> really whoa, early. Whoa, whoa, whoa! But he did a good job. Fixed it. I haven't actually got my invoice yet, so yeah. just check my, my email. See if they send it to me. <laughs> actually, my, I've got emails on my computer. So why don't I do that? Yeah, maybe wait till after. Even. I have got an invoice. <laughs> Let's, Let's play a little hilo. Dear Tony, please see attached. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to give you, it's more than, more than two, more than 150, but less than 250. Travel to site, checked operation of Fujitsu heat pump for noise and water leaks. Found the noise was the uh, something pump. I don't know. Oh yeah, that, Some didn't I say it was a pump? pump? Yeah, uh, which had failed, which, uh, and which and this, come on Ian, was causing the unit to leak water. Advise the client, replace the condensate pump and tested ran. Oh, come uh, on in. Come on. No wonder you, you mark your name in. with a single letter. Clean the self clean filters and reassemble the unit. Clean the DVS. Why did he need to do that? The self cleaning. Oh. He cleaned the self clean filters. He said, "No, that's a trick." He said, "It's a scam." You self cleaning. <laughs> They're not. I'm like, no, that's a scam. I'm yeah. like, I've been scammed. If it's something that can end up on an invoice, of course you'd do it. Uh, clean the DVS bag for filter in the roof. And no one needs installed. to know this. No uh, one. Needs to, no one cares. Three ninety two eighty four. Oh. The pump was actually 20435 and then Ian charged me a bit of labour. That's like my washing machine guy. I've seen my same washing machine on on uh, online for sale used for 99 bucks, and last time <laughs> I got mine fixed it was 250 I thought it was going to be like 500 for this, so I'm actually quite happy. Okay. Saved 110 bucks. All right, I'll take it. I thought I saved 110 bucks. No, you didn't. <laughs> In my mind, I did. Yeah. Um, anything else happened this week? Um, finished a certain item in my library. Secret Machines. Secret Machines, uh, book two. <laughs> Um, you finally finished it. It's yeah. taken you weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I finished my way ahead of you. Yeah, but remember, you're looking at what I did. All holidays. Hey man, uh, you 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 saw my house. You don't have a lot of painting to do. It's beautifully naturally wood. Not painting, no. I stained all the deck. Yeah, you got a lot of staining to do. That's your issue. Stained both decks and you could have did big, the entire you garden. Big deck. Thank you. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, you finished the book. Like, yeah. let's stop arguing about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> finished it. Finished it. So, um, just who finished it first? 
Yeah, hard to say. <laughs> photo finish. It's I think. really it's not hard to finish. say. Photo it's like finish. a month. Photo. Why finish. are we photographing calendars? Photo finish. <laughs> <laughs> so I finished the book way before you. Um, I had some uh, some thoughts on it at the time, but it was so long ago now. I've forgotten most of them. So Let's why don't do you a lead off? Recap, actually. Oh yeah. Um, I'm thinking maybe we save this and maybe we do like a, a recap in the future. What do All you right. Think? Well, let's hit something of substance. Um, how long till something becomes funny was what I was thinking about of substance. Okay. Like you, let's say you, um, you trip and fall and break your leg, but as you do, your pants fall down at the time. That's not funny, right? No, it's not. How is it weeks or days or months before we laugh about that? There was a South Park episode which covered this. Oh, really? Where, where oh. they find out. I think it was like, it was like seven and a half years. Before? Or 17 and a half years. But is it like a flat rate? That's what they just, that's what they determined in the uh, in the episode. There was a certain like uh, time frame of when. Where you can laugh about it. Yeah. Oh, what? This stolen my material <laughs> years ago. Yeah, there's something. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a, there, was, there was something there. I think, like, I don't know. Like, if you follow the idea that um you know everything is up for grabs everything can be laughed at mm. like I, I guess what they do during in south park they can laugh and make fun of any for everything and anything yeah yeah then yeah, there's, there's no there's no time so like, okay did they but did, did they settle on a flat rate as in like it's this many years or because i'm thinking it's like depending on the circumstance yeah so this is the, it was an episode where they um they say that AIDS is finally funny, oh. and it becomes the same thing after so many years. Twenty two point three years. That's it. AIDS Whoa. is finally funny, and they have a banner. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the uh, yeah. So here we go. Urban Dictionary. Twenty two point three years. It says uh, in South Park, the amount of time it takes for something tragic to become funny again, like AIDS. Twenty two point three years. Oh man. <laughs> well, but if you broke your ankle. And then um, so your pants not, fell down. It's not, not as bad as AIDS, that's not right? Tragic, though. No, that's no. just misfortune. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, so that would be a matter of just a couple of years, surely. I think it could happen straight away. If I, I mean that sort of thing, that I would be, I, you'd I would laugh think, with a broken bone. Other people could laugh. Like I often think of these things, like. Um, where I have a, a misfortune happen, it annoys me at the time, and I think, actually, it's going to be quite a funny story. Yeah. It's be quite amusing once I say it. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I thought about like it if, is Like, if it happened to me and you laughed, I'd be annoyed. But then if we were sitting here, like, I don't know, a month later talking about it, even, like, a couple of days later talking about it, we'd both be laughing about it. Yeah? Yeah. So I guess the what, time you broke your arm and your pants fell down, I'd be like, yeah, that was two days ago, and now it's hilarious. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, but there'd be some really sensitive people that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't yeah. find that way. Like, the other day, I was watering the garden because um, your pants a, came down no and um, my heavily pregnant pregnant wife um, came out to talk to me and I thought how long would it take to be funny if I just completely doused her with the hose I mean for me and you it'd be straight away <laughs> yeah <laughs> but for her to laugh we're talking years aren't we that would be years yeah, yeah it would be years hmm I guess 22.3 years? Or <laughs> do you think after 22.3 years, she'd laugh about it? Yeah, I think we'd have it covered by then. It, would, it definitely would go through that stage of like, you just, it goes from like, I hate you to now I just cringe about it to like, now I hilariously question you 
to then we're both laughing about it. Yeah. In a situation like that, like it's not like you've, you've doused a. Uh, if, if this was if if this was a friend who had to come around with their wife, like say that um, you and your wife came around here and I doused her with the hose. <laughs> I mean, she may even never want to talk to me again. Yeah, that's true. Least, it's but, longer. Yeah. But with you, you know, it will eventually mm. come come right because there's a lot invested in there. There, w- it would be years. But then I think there's things you could do. Like if um, the next time it happened, it was me getting sprayed by her, then. I think that would shorten that timeline. So I've I've doused her with the hose. It might take five years, but if after six months she douses me with the hose, so then I think the you're automatically into revenge. So if there's an element of revenge here. Hmm, can yeah. can really cut down that that time of when does it become funny? Okay, you douse her and say I'm open to revenge. Yeah. So so you can't be angry at me because you can get me back so no no you can be angry till you get me back I okay you're, you're, you're okay okay you're fine mm. it's okay it's fine you can be angry with me until you seek revenge yeah or you can say i'm not gonna be angry but no i have revenge and yeah. just soak that up until you actually get that sweet release uh-huh. the sweet release of revenge <laughs> so if you had aids and um, assistance i'd have to wait i would have to wait 22 years or whatever it was but then if i got aids too then we could both laugh about it, right? Did I give you AIDS? <laughs> <laughs> assistance. Yeah, assistance. Yeah. Yeah. A I D E E A I D E AIDS as an assistance. Yeah. yeah. This episode's ringing a bell now. Yeah, it is. It's uh, with Jared from Subway, who uh, unfortunately oh, what, yeah. molested children. Allegedly, if not, he's, I in, don't know. he's, he's like in jail for like uh, child child abuse. Yeah, I heard that. Um, the they had sniffer dogs trained to get flash drives and they found flash drives in his wall allegedly of course allegedly and conversationally and satirically they found flash drives and flesh drives in his walls <laughs> amazing um, very good yeah um anything else to add before I, we jump into the main story do you want to talk about um recap nah. recap of nah. episode three okay what pardon i thought we were going to do that after oh we can i don't know know where this fits we haven't actually i kind of feel like we should have a theme song for this can we play their theme music on the podcast without getting in trouble um i think it would be illegal but i don't think we'd get in trouble it's one of those so um if you're hearing it maybe (laughs) (laughs) no i think i think leave that to the end because then if anyone doesn't care about it then they can at least hear this story and then we can talk about it at the end. What if they don't care about the story, but they want to hear about Boolock? Okay. Well, then... What if they like friends of the show, Jay, now tuned out? Then they've only... <laughs> then they've <laughs> I don't only, think you any of it. Then they've only uh, listened to two episodes that they liked anyway, so... So... <laughs> okay. Do you want to just uh, un- uh, unveil your spooky tale? When Kurson Alimzanov wakes up every day perhaps he wonders if this will be the day when his extraterrestrial friends will return to bestow new earth-shaking secrets of the universe on him Kirsten Uh, see you later Juliana yeah although you might want to stick around I mean it's a good one one. you don't know what it is but you're talking it up you won't want project blue book stuff that's just yeah Yeah, see that's why we put it at the end yeah fair enough who's this Kirsten girl guy Kirsten Kirsten Alumzanov. Alumzanov is, is currently is it like president. Like a Russian name or Ukrainian name or yes, is currently Kyrgyzstanian pre- name. Is currently president of the International Chess Foundation. 
And Russia, he, Ru- chess is very popular in Russia, just so you know. And he cla- claims he was abducted by extraterrestrials. Limzanov says that on an evening in September 1997, ETs wearing yellow spacesuits spirited him out of his Moscow home and took him to their spaceship. Yellow is a controversial colour for a spacesuit, isn't it? You don't, well, know, you don't know about yellow spacesuits. It reminded me of um, the book cover from Back to the Future that the dad writes, where he yeah. talks about Darth Vader coming from the planet something. It's like a real sort of hazmat yeah, uh, yeah. colour, eh? Exactly. Anyway. Here's part of an interview he gave in 2007 for an Al Jazeera news report. Uh, I'm not going to do an accent, much like you would. I was taken from my apartment in Moscow to the spaceship, and we went to some... S- we went to some stars after that. I asked them, please bring me back. They are, they are like people, like us. They have the same mind and the same vision. I talked with them and I understand that we're not alone in this whole world. We are not unique. Well, we know we're not alone in this world. I've got you. <laughs> <laughs> are you talking to the listeners? <laughs> Fine. To Juliana specifically. <laughs> Although she's probably gone. Yeah, she is. But if, if you are listening, I'm seeing her tomorrow. Um, <laughs> um, for those of she's you playing... For, she's going for brunch. For those of you playing at home, Juliana's a friend of ours who switches off once the story starts. Yeah. <laughs> she's, <laughs> so she's she a, now knows all about your heat pump guy. <laughs> she's one of the biggest fans of the show, but just doesn't listen to half the show. Yeah. <laughs> but each to their own. If, if I mean, There might be some people that only want to listen to the second half of the show with this paranormal stuff. But even that's pretty weak, Alfred. (laughs) Alamzanov goes on to say, uh, I'm not a crazy man, but after I gave the first interview to Radio Freedom in Russia, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of people wrote me letters and called on the phone saying, Oh, Kursan, you are a political, you're you're a politician and you're not afraid to talk about it. How so? Following a 2010 television interview in which Alumzanov freely spoke of his alleged meeting with aliens on a spaceship, a member of the Russian parliament voiced several concerns to President Medvedev wanting to know if Alumzanov was fit to govern and also asked if there are official guidelines for what government officials should do if contacted by aliens. Have I missed something? Is he a politician of some sort? Yeah, I said that at the start. I totally missed that. Yeah. Uh, he's a politician and head of the chess club or whatever. I like it. I was only, as soon as you heard chess, I was like, Russians like chess. I might make that comment. Oh, to be fair, I don't know if I said until I started quoting him, but it was, it's been said. Okay. Because uh, he said, you are a politician and you are free to talk about it. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, asked if he was fit to govern and if there are, uh, if there are official guidelines for what government officials... Oh no, it's just jumped. Uh, what government officials uh, should do uh, if contacted by aliens, especially if those officials have access to state secrets. So that's interesting for like a leader of the opposition to come out and say we need a policy for people who are contacted by aliens that know stuff. Yeah, definitely sort of uh, not what you'd normally hear in political circles. Mm. Considering his alleged otherworldly encounter and his long-term association with FIDE, which somehow is the international chess foundation people that's good it's good makes sense it's not surprising to hear alumzanov make an out of this world connection between aliens and the game of chess my theory is that chess comes from space now now think think of what he's okay, saying here. okay okay I, i'm tuning in chess comes from space because it's the same rules 64 squares mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Black and white. Space is black and white, yeah. And the same rules in Japan and China. Okay, I think we know what he's saying. Here. Same rules in Japan, China, Qatar, Mongolia, Africa. The rules are the same. Africa's so another I, country. He's named a continent. That's not fair. So I think maybe it's from space. What I think he's trying to say, and maybe it just doesn't translate, is that um, how do all these countries come up with the same game? Okay. All at once. I don't know whether he's and whether he's researched whether it was actually all at once or not. Um, Export. What'd you call me? Export. Expert? Expert. I am an expert. In 2001, Radio Freedom... In a 2001 Radio Freedom interview, Alumzanov described how his alien encounter unfolded. It was not in our Russian space vehicles, but with aliens. So, like right there. Is he not admitting the Russians have space vehicles? Or Or is he just going to be referring to, like, their um low earth orbit space station so so soyers soyers yeah surely not (laughs) uh they came in a flying saucer picked me up and i spent a whole day in outer space what does a day look like that's my question Mm -hmm. that's it's very it's an earth day it's very earthly if you said one earth day yeah, yeah I it. <laughs> he didn't specify yeah i think it's probably one of the, the least things we need to sort of clarify the story about anyway it was from my apartment they flew in and picked me up they were wearing yellow spacesuits. i remember this moment exactly we went off to their interplanetary ship and i started to feel a lack of air a lack of oxygen they gave me a spacesuit as well one of the aliens pointed to his chest and indicated that the oxygen supply could be regulated by turning a dial so this is what i did the ship was absolutely enormous. One of its chambers was the size of a large football pitch. We landed on one of the planets and picked up some pieces of equipment. They told me everything in detail. Why is he getting to go on this ride? This... I'm not sure why him. Yeah. Um, Maybe they want to learn chess. Uh, I asked them to take me back to Earth as quickly as possible. See, this is where you'll like the the punctual nature okay, of... Okay, okay, um, okay. Of, uh, I asked them to take me back to Earth as quickly as possible because in two days I had to conduct Youth Government Week. (laughs) (laughs) What is Youth Government Week going to be like? Like Young Labour? Something you don't want to miss, I I take it. (laughs) Something that can't go on without. You can't get a doctor's note saying that you are not there because... Some sort of a jamboree. Yeah, you're stuck in outer side space. And then they brought me back and everything was normal again. A few days later, I was walking along thinking, why did they take me? And I was cursing myself for not asking them any questions. But it's possible that it's still not the time for us to meet these extraterrestrial civilizations. The question of why did they take me has most likely been echoed by the countless people who have claimed over several decades to have had experiences quite similar to what Alumzanov insists happens to him happened to him in fact these so-called international ufo abductees form the basis of a growing subculture of the ufo community they call themselves experiences for more than a quarter of a century groups of like-minded individuals have found solace by sharing their experiences with each other according to a 2009 abc news report Psychologists say media-generated images of alien kidnappings can become easily ingrained in our subconscious and then vividly reenacted in our dreams. However, one reason why many people in Russia and America may appear to have cut uh, Alumzanov some slack about his claims is because they believe they've shared a similar experience. 
Kirsten Alumsanov is one of as one is one Russian politician who publicly discusses UFOs and culturally it appears it was apparently not a disaster. Perhaps the Russian population sees him as something uh, of bending the rules when he talks about having had an experience with a UFO and its alien crew, said Jan Hazen of MUFON. Oh, MUFON are weighing in on this. Interesting. You know MUFON? I do. The Mutual UFO Network. The largest civilian-based UFO investigating organization in the world. Um, and they uh, send me emails quite regularly. Do they? Are you on a mailing list? I'm on a mailing list, oh, yeah. Very good. I actually don't think I am. I, I, I might I might, might seen up. You're not missing much, unless you can make it to their many conferences they have. Whether he's outspoken about UFOs from experience or just for public publicity and attention, we don't know. Harzan told the, the Huffington Post in an email, but it's rather unusual when you compare him to American politicians. Here in the US is still a political disaster for a politician to discuss UFOs from a personal point of view. So I guess you're kind of seeing that in the announcement of Space Force. Cool. Um, from Donald Trump, which I have a theory on as well. Okay. Do you want to share? If we were, if we were thinking of uh the president of the usa not being the highest power um which, god i hope he's not <laughs> yeah um it and if you had a plan for disclosure it might well be that um you rig things um so that some sort of a buffoon is in charge so that they can start putting terms into into normal government conversations like space force mm-hmm. Um, so that eventually that term becomes normalized and then um, uh, you can kind of build on that so you know nasa can actually start experimenting with space force type technology stuff or um, eventually uh, just opening up funding in that area to an eventual what do you call it disclosure yeah and then all you got to do is blame russians for having got him there which is what they did with the Russian hacking stuff. Yeah, of course. Or potentially did. But, yeah. If this theory held weight. But it, it was just popped into my head when I was driving this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it works. Cool. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. And for sharing this um, Russian chess extraordinaire's extraordinary tale. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm. All right. Um, that's all I got. Um, shall we Project Blue Book? Yeah. Do you want uh, play the theme music? <laughs> are we allowed to uh yeah if it's playing yep we've done it <laughs> if not we're back down <laughs> in the face of a challenge we thought nah so this week's episode was the lubbock lights Light. so actually i've just found here in our uh, mysteries of the unexplained uh storybook it's the being the ironing board i can hear it <laughs> the uh what the uh, tale that we we read out about the Lubbock Lights, uh, mm-hmm. and it's got the same photo that they brought up on the show. Same same photo. Same so the photo. cliff notes of it is a, a kind of a flying V formation of lights flew over Lubbock, in in Texas. In Texas, in and Texas. as it went, it cut off power. Yeah, so it flew overhead. Uh, it was a the opening scene was an air traffic control tower and um, picked up on radar, flew over the uh, the town, light shut out. And um, afterwards, there was some sort of unusual experience that uh, 
had been incurred. So was it the air traffic controller himself that had had that weird experience where he was uh, in sort of shock in the hospital bed or was it some other person? I thought it was until they went to the air traffic control base and it was a different guy showing them around. Yeah, so, so it wasn't just somebody is in a car at some point after the power goes out and has some sort of weird experience in the vehicle. Yeah. Um, and the uh so you, you've got quinn and um mr uh, D- D- mr i'm so sorry to <laughs> <laughs> accept my apologies uh dr Heineck go and investigate and um get some reports find out that this flying v formation they see it themselves at one point and um at the point that they do see it quinn is stuck in the car and has the same type of um odd electrical uh, situation where the uh, the car reacts to something and he can't get out and he has um, almost like a sort of a seizure type experience with being stuck in the vehicle. Yep. And um, at that point as he sort of escapes, the the craft flies overhead. Um, there's a couple of other things in this where you introduce, they introduce a character who is, again, a real person, so Donald Kehoe, yeah. who is a real uh, proponent of the, of the UFO alien hypothesis, who... Uh, debuts in this episode so he was a ex-marine oh yeah and um he was very outspoken about the u.s military covering up the ufo um hypothesis oh yeah which is yep. interesting yeah and leads to uh, our dear generals threatening uh kehoe to to keep quiet yeah so that was interesting when they uh when they when they brought his character in it's actually again a real person yeah that they brought into this um the story and was he really hushed by the government um we'll never know i guess we'll we'll never know but he was very outspoken uh, about it i think um his the actual time frame so lubbock was 1951 and when sort of that article appeared in um is it true magazine or truth something like that whatever it was that was actually 1965 i think so there's about 15 years they've sort of condensed (laughs) yeah i wondered about that because it feels like they're hitting one of these big famous cases every week (laughs) yeah so the actual donald donald kehoe article was about 15 years after what lubbock was in 1951 yeah um the couple i think where they sort of disappeared sort of um sort of parted away from the real story was the power outages that was something that wasn't actually reported uh-huh. um and that situation where both quinn and the the previous character had been sort of stuck in the car and the car wouldn't move and oh yeah going haywire malfunctioning that was also uh, a bit of fiction for lubbock but again true of the ufo law that that uh, that situation where someone's car stops or yeah. something goes crazy haywire or in an aircraft a compass goes round and round and round and round yeah. sort of thing that's that's all part of that ufo tales that, that go on even yeah. though it wasn't there's really that notion of um of electronics and things being controlled by or interrupted or um affected by the the lights or the um the craft or whatever it may be yes so in 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 the episode they they went for a sort of rather mundane explanation um which is true of what i knew about the case from get me some strange um however when you watch the in the previous two episodes of the series they give this mundane explanation for it being first one was a weather balloon second one was uh an owl on a burnt out tree that's right and you think yeah oh, it kind of you know they're just going to go around debunking does make sense this time though when they're told of the mundane explanation they have seen this object themselves and there's now that bit of separation from saying hey actually i'm starting to realize 
this doesn't all make sense that some of these explanations are rubbish yeah when they start getting affected by it themselves That's, rather than just witness testimony and that was the first time where they'd seen something themselves yeah um yeah and it's sort of part of when they sort of realize that hey the explanation they're sort of realizing the explanation that they're being that they're giving is they're being told to cover something up and keep yeah, it quiet. That's right. Um, so just to sort of recap on the real case, so it was August uh, and September 1951. So Project Blue Book Chief Ed- Edward uh, Robert personally investigated the lights and, and, and went there and wrote about it in his book. So the objects were caught on radar and strange lights were observed by hundreds. Uh, the radar report came from Larson Air Force Base on August 26, 1951. And an object was observed on radar for six minutes, traveling at around 900 miles per hour, which is phenomenal uh, speed. Yeah. Um, So what happened there is you've got, uh, yeah, tracked on radar like it was on on, on the show. Um, More sightings were were recorded. Lots of people saw them traveling in V formation. On the evening of August 25th, the young Lubbock resident uh, waiting up to see the lights everyone was talking about uh, rushed outside with his camera and took famous photos that became the, mm-hmm. the V formation that we've, we've, we've got in the book in front of us and uh, you can easily find online as well as if you, if you don't have a copy of Mysteries of the Unexplained yourself and can turn to page 218 <laughs> <laughs> we've got two <laughs> exactly if you're interested in buying a copy we could sell you one <laughs> <laughs> um, there were from some professors from the Texas, Texas Technical College who saw it too and were quite intrigued by what they saw and did some calculations around what the object could have been and were, were quite stumped um, one witness and this is what they used in the uh, in, in the TV episode was that they said that the uh, object was actually plovers a bird yeah plovers. that's right and uh, the oily breast, the old oily breast of the plover, <laughs> yeah. reflected off some newly installed streetlights and formed the uh, the V formation. I ain't buying it. I ain't buying it. So one comment here is one reason why plovers couldn't have been part of it is they only fly in pairs or small groups, not large groups. Um, there was also, this but wasn't covered here, but another one was that two of the Lubbock light encounters were during the day, and in both cases, the witnesses reported seeing a silent flying wing craft fly high above them with rows of lights along the wings. Oh, wow. So they're saying it was one craft, because based on the lights, you know, and, and all the explanations, really, they just say that it was um, uh, a collection of things flying in a V. Yeah. So one single craft, and Robert's investigation showed that it was highly unlikely that these were human-made craft, which is um, Mm -hmm. interesting. And uh, so further, just like on the show, the Air Force decided to close the case with the plover explanation. The real Lubbock Lights case did not include effects to vehicles like in the program. However, UFO witnesses have, of course, reported this sort of thing in other cases. Mm. And... um, What's interesting though, like if it was plovers and ducks were another thing that was suggested as a possible explanation. It just isn't. Why hasn't this happened since? Why did? Why was it only for like two months in 1951 <laughs> was this a thing? And yeah. then like, oh, you know how we saw those plovers and ducks flying in V-shaped formation? Yeah. It's like, it hasn't happened for 50-something years. Yeah. Or 60 years. How weird. <laughs> so, yeah, a little, little bit odd, yeah. I must admit. So, yeah. I think... Um, the the episode closed by the uh, the generals bringing in Quinn and Heineck and saying, "Hey, 
we're gonna we, you you need to say it's birds, but actually it was this experimental military cla- craft, which yep. clearly it wasn't because they both in the episode saw something, mm. and they ain't buying it either. Yeah, and I think there's been some comments in other episodes about is, are we going to have a problem with this Heineck character? Yeah, Quinn stands up, salutes, and walks and accepts it. Yeah, and you can tell Heineck is pissed. Yeah, he's not happy about mm. it. And if you think like back around the real Project Blue book, when Heineck brought it was brought in, his comment was, "Oh, this is post-war nerves hysteria." Um, we'll be able to explain this all the way as common atmospheric for, um, phenomenon. Yeah. And by the end of Blue Book, he's quoted as saying, "I was a bit of a jerk. I shouldn't have jumped to this conclusion and realised now there's actually something really, uh, you know, something really tangible to this." Yeah. So, yeah, a couple of really interesting things here. Kehoe was really cool to bring him in, even though it was 15 years apart of when it actually happened. Yeah. But um, you're starting to see those people who are speaking out against what the Air Force are doing, and they're believing they're putting something and keeping something uh, quiet. And in the episode, you have the generals roughhouse him and stick a gun down his, uh, in his face, down his throat, telling him if he has to, as he shuts up, there's going to be trouble. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it it's harding up. Yeah. The, what they've done is they're, they're, they're really building up both storylines there where um, a lot of people are cottoning on to the fact that it might be a government cover-up, whether it's yep. Heineck or um, any other people who start uh, getting that idea. But then also um, because of the uh, more people coming out to speak out against it, then they have to ramp up their how do they cover it up. So it's going to be interesting how that keeps unfolding um, from me. And uh, less girl-on-girl action this week, <laughs> to admit. But, uh, um, yeah. the, we did uh, here in the um, the wrap-up podcast for Project Blue Book that Sci-Fi put out, um, they mentioned that the disc-shaped object, disc-shaped object that you see underneath the tarp in Episode 2 is revisited in Episode 4, mm. so it could be interesting to see what, what happens see next week. Next week, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's interesting. We've got these two generals who are like the you know the keepers of the secret. They're guarding it, and uh, you know they think they know best. And they're saying, "Look, we uh, we're, we're we're guarding and protecting this, and you know we can do whatever we want to keep mm-hmm. this quiet." So if that's sticking a gun down someone's throat to shut them up, or um, coming up with absurd lies about what people saw, yeah, then yeah, they'll 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 do. They can do anything within their power, and they believe that they're right of what they're doing. So, yeah. keep watching, I guess. Yeah, it's good. Keep yeah, real. It is really good. Cool. Well, it's a recap of uh, Blue Book. Do we play? Oh, do we have it. outro music for it? Yeah, uh, we do. Is it the same music in reverse? <laughs> it must be. And yeah. sped up. <laughs> um, strange. Strange. Anything else to add before we jump into Strange? Uh, no, no. I, uh, I'm i looking forward to episode number four to see this disc reappear, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Do you know what next week's episode is? Because um, we knew uh, that Lubbock Lights was third when we were looking at episode two. But I actually I think when I looked at it... Um, might not be a case. I think when I looked at it, it was sort of it didn't sort of it wasn't quite clear what the episode actually was. Okay. So, yeah, it might be... Um, I think it had a title that wasn't actually... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we've it's got... It's maybe called... they've stepped away from Oh, cases. no, Operation Paperclip. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, cool. That'll be interesting. So, uh, two-sentence summary of Operation Paperclip. Uh, German scientists after World War II were taken to um, America to work on secret machines. 
Yeah, and if you've read Secret Machines, particularly the second one, most recently, like I have, and I guess my co-host too, um, there's comments around German scientists being brought to the United States to uh, work on things. Am I the host and you're the co-host? Uh, I think we're both co's. Nah. <laughs> you always speak first, so... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm Al- kidding. Alphabet- I'm the host. Alphabetically, you come first. So. Okay, um... Do well, you, do you, I mean, you always, you do my you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go co-host because you, you often do the uh, <laughs> introductions to things. Um, let's move on to the third, uh, the final segment yeah, of the show. Yeah, normally third, normally third. Now fourth segment of the show where we take the 1982 Reader's yeah, Digest. We talk version. about crap. Have a have a spooky tale. Uh, Project Blue wrap up, and now Strange. We take the 1982 Reader's Digest version of Mysteries of the Unexplained. Tony will flick to a random page. I'll tell him when to stop, and he will read one of the stories on the page that he lands on. This is the segment we call Get Me Some Strange. Okay, flick away, son. Flick away. <laughs> stop. Oh, that one. lots of green flags. Hey. Ooh. Oh, okay. Monsters. 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 That's a good one. I'm um, interested. I'm okay. interested. So we're in a uh, subsection of monsters from 1900 to 1970, which pretty much takes it up to the present day at the end of this book. <laughs> um, surveying the Amazon Basin for the Royal Geographical Society of London in 1907, Major Percy Fawcett could not at first credit local tales of outsized snakes inhabiting the swamps and rivers. But, as he was to write in his memoirs, personal experience convinced him that they were true. Fawcett and his Indian crew, I'm not sure if that's PC to say or not, mm. uh, were slowly drifting down the sluggish Rio Abuna when, almost under the bow of their flimsy boat, there appeared a triangle head and several feet of undulating body. It was a giant anaconda. I sprang for my rifle as the creature began to make its way up the bank. I can't just shoot it straight away. Love. So hang on, is this saying that an anaconda is a monster? Well, they they do exist, right? As the creature began to make its way up the bank, and hardly waiting to aim, smashed a point four four. 44? Yeah. Soft nose bullets. <laughs> this is reading what it says. Yeah. Smashed a 44 caliber soft nose bu- soft nosed bullet into its spine. Jesus. Ugh. 10 feet below the wheel. Well, that's pretty head. much all spine, though. Yeah, that's So actually. it just means you hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, spine tingling. <laughs> Go on. At once there was a flurry of foam and several hefty thumps against the boat's keel, shaking us, though we had run on a snag. A snag. Mm. We stepped ashore and approached the reptile with caution. It was out of action, but shivers ran up and down the body like puffs of wind on a mountain tarn. Oh, what a beautiful simile. Yeah, it's picturesque. As far as it was possible to measure... A length of 45 feet lay out of the water and 17 feet in it, making it a total of... Math? I wasn't listening. (laughs) 62 feet. (laughs) (laughs) On a return to London, (laughs) Fawcett was branded a liar for his claim that he had bagged a 62-foot anaconda. He was always exaggerating about his size, wasn't he, Fawcett? Maybe it was cold? Yeah. Look at my 62-foot anaconda. Nah, Fawcett. <laughs> Liar. Lying bastard. That animal, scientists declare, could not possibly measure more than 45 feet. Therefore, the observer's story was fantastic. Right. 
dubious i don't know i i don't know about that i reckon if we updated it and we found how much how big is and how big is the biggest anaconda actually yeah. photographed it would probably be bigger than old fiction from Fawcett. <laughs> all right anything else to add no I, i'm good um, what are you what are you doing now are you going to up to the cricket up to the cricket yeah what about you um, uh, building a bookcase gonna build a bookcase and you're gonna come back later on and pick up the old bookcase <laughs> i'm sure our listeners care um all right on that note i'll call that another episode of lights in the sky podcast catch you next week toodaloo